Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success, show number 14. Hi, everybody. You have tuned in to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success. We interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success. We sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be. Enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show. Live from Colorado, here with my temporary co-host, Mike Lavis. What's going on, hey, Mike? Rick, are... Not a whole lot, Rick. How are you doing tonight? Good. A little snowy day again today. Seems like uh, winter doesn't ever want to let go. I think it's going to let go this weekend. I'm looking forward to a nice uh, 75, 80 degree uh, weekend. So that should be uh, be nice to get out and about. Yeah, my grass is even turning green. I was thinking about doing some fertilizer. Uh, I don't have to worry about that. My grass is, has been brown for like three years. So, I I, uh, Do you have anything else going on? Enjoying a brand new truck that I bought, uh, picked up over the weekend on Friday afternoon. So uh, traded my old truck in and uh, decided to uh, buy a new truck. And the wife and I are looking to maybe do some uh, camping. So we, uh, I bought a bigger truck and hoping to pull a camper this summer, um, maybe buy a camper next year. Very nice. It seems like all my co-hosts buy new trucks. Yeah, I've been looking for um, probably about a year now and got a call from uh, a dealer, a local dealer that I've been talking to for about seven months and said they had a, the truck I was looking for that uh, was coming in. So I went in and took a test drove and uh, walked out the door with it. Yeah. What what kind of truck do you get? I got a GMC uh, 2500 diesel AT4 truck. Wow. That's... Yeah, it's pretty nice. I enjoy driving it. Fun to drive. It's a diesel, so it's got a lot of a lot of horsepower and a lot of pulling uh, potential. Very good. Yeah, we live in Colorado, so, you know, why wouldn't you have something that can get up in the mountains and pull a camper? Yeah, I was having some issues with my old truck actually smoking uh, when I would be in the traffic coming back from the mountains. So it would overheat a lot when I would come home. And it didn't have very many miles on it, only about 70,000 miles. But I took it in, tried to get serviced a couple times, and they couldn't figure out what's wrong with it. So I traded it in. Very good. Very good. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Hey, so do you have a quote of the week? I do. I do. I'm uh, taking over for Doug this week, but uh, the quote of the week that I have is from Wilbur Wright. It's uh, going on over uh, over 100 and some years since uh, the first flight uh, from the Wright brothers, but uh, uh, no bird soars in a calm. So I think that's a good quote from uh, the guest that we had this week, and it's great talking with him. And uh, you know, he he's definitely uh, not in a calm, and uh, he uh, soars pretty high. So I think yeah. that's a good quote. Very good, yeah. Uh, Vern Harris, what do you think you know, for the intro here? Uh, what a great guy! Yeah, he was a super guy to talk to. Man, he was very personable, which uh, it was very nice for a guy that. Uh, has done so much and has it really does a lot for the people of Colorado and uh, the rest of the to the states where he's in. So I say he's doing yeoman's work with uh, with his work with uh, with the elderly or people that need uh, need that extra hand at, at the end of their time on earth. So uh, really great uh, great to see. Yeah, I was really impressed with his uh, you know like I said the personality that he has is very disarming and very trustworthy. Yeah, definitely. You know, he, he, he talked a lot about a couple different, a uh, couple different things, different secrets to his sauce, you know, education, constantly learning, uh, going different uh, seminars and learning new traits and learning new things that, you know, has, has guided him. All right. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Vern Harris. 
All right, today we have a special guest with us, Vern Harris. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Welcome. Uh, we have a new co-host for the evening, uh, Mike Lavis. Hi, uh, glad to join you, Rick. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, glad to have you here. All right, uh, Vern, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, certainly. So I'm in the Denver area, and I'm a broker. I specialize in assisted living. We help people get in and out of the residential style. These are not the big box type of assisted livings. They're houses that look like homes. They were a home at one point that somebody lived in. They've been converted to assisted living. So now you have 10 seniors that are living in these houses and they're getting the care 24-7 that uh, they would get in the big box. But it's much more of a home environment. And I specialize in that space. I run a group called the Denver Association of Assisted Living Residences. We educate people on this space, help them build their businesses. I help people get in when they're looking to buy. I help them get out when they're looking to sell. I help them with lease options, just a wide variety of thing, anything involved with that assisted living space. All right, very good. So before we dive back into that, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, How did you even get into real estate? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've always had a desire for real estate. I bought the Carlton Sheets book way back in the late 90s. (laughs) So I, I didn't really get anywhere with that. But in about the uh, mid-2014 area, something like that, I ran across a friend of mine who we've been pals for many years and uh, business neighbors for oh, 20 years or something like that. And he was doing this real estate gig. And so we chatted a little bit and I said, so you are a realtor? And he goes, no, I'm not. I'm an investor. I do wholesaling. I said, well, that's really interesting. I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. I have a few things going right now, but I'm going to circle back. So about six months later, I called him. I said, hey, I'm curious. What What is it you're doing? We sat down, had a discussion, and he kind of showed me what the ropes were and, and what, what it was that he was doing. And then I got involved with the Rich Dad For Me program. I only say that because I think there's a lot of good education there, but you can get the same education for a lot less. In your so what is the Rich Dad For Me it's, it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I make fun of it because I spent stupid money on it. Can you explain that? It's just a book, right? There's the gurus that come through town and, and do the old pep rally. And you go to these rallies and you get all excited and learn about it. And, oh, my gosh, there's so many riches to be made. And then you go to the next rally because they've teased you. And, and you go spend some money to go to that rally. And then they convince you that, hey, the only way to learn this is to spend money and, and hire us. And, you know, so $25,000 later, I'm in it. You spent $25,000? That's why I call it Rich Dad Poor Me. Holy yeah, cow. That's okay. similar to the uh, Fan Merrill tours, right? It is. I've yep. seen those and on television. Out there. Mm-hmm. You know, the education was okay, but it wasn't worth that kind of money. I, I tell people now that, if you want to learn this stuff, go to your local real estate clubs. And I've been to classes through those clubs that I spent 500 bucks on, and I got five times more information than I did out of the, the Rich Dad program. Now, I don't want to knock Rich Dad because I still really like what they teach. I just think that, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that rah-rah of those, those seminars and spend the stupid money like I did. So I always try to share that story so people don't go out and do what I did. So did you learn a lot from those classes? I learned a a 
fair amount. I got some basic grounding in real estate from that. And then all the other stuff I've learned throughout the years has been a little bit more specialized and a lot more productive. I will say one thing about spending $25,000. When you go tell your wife you just spent $25,000 on something like that, you're bound to determine you're not going to fail. So it might make you a one percenter if you do something stupid like that. <laughs> That's almost more than a master's degree. Uh, <laughs> well, really? you know what? I've spent a lot more than that on my education. I, I've seriously spent well over a hundred grand on my education for real estate. That was just 25 grand that was not the best investment. I spent programs that I've spent 15,000 on that were great investments. Absolutely. So it all depends on what you want to learn and how you want to apply it. Uh, so you mentioned that. a friend of yours that was doing wholesaling. Was that something you were after going to these classes? Well, you get into real estate and there's so many shiny objects. He actually does a mentoring course and I did his course and was very successful at it. It's really where I started making money because after going through the rich dad, I called him up and said, well, I've been doing this for about a year. I still don't have a deal under my belt. Would you mind taking me out as a student? So he did. And within a few months, I had a couple of deals cooking. And after about a year or so, I did about 20 deals in the first year. So it worked. Can you explain to the audience what wholesaling is? So wholesaling is getting a property under contract and selling that contract. So you go out and you negotiate a deal with the seller. Then you're, you're really getting that deal, bird dogging and finding the opportunities out there. And then you're working with, as your buyers, going to be flippers, typically, sometimes the landlords. And we call it wholesale because they're not really the end buyer. They're like the middleman. They're going to buy a house and, and then turn around, put some money in it, fix it up and sell it to the end user. So, you know, we're selling that house wholesale to them. So it's at a discount. And you put a markup on that contract because you went through all the work to find that deal. And usually they're happy to pay that assignment fee, that, you know, that wholesale fee. So, so how did you find these deals? Well, what we were doing back then is the market was good enough. We could scrape the MLS. So we'd look for deals on the MLS. We'd go in and find the good deals, offer them, you know, lowball offers, really. And if we got a deal, then we'd go figure out what it would take to make it work and then uh, let our buyers know that there's an opportunity. And if they like the opportunity, then they'd buy that contract from us. So you said the buyers, did you have a certain group of people that were buying your yep. properties there? In that case, I had a good network. I still have it. Basically flippers and landlords. Hmm. All right. So you got into wholesaling. You evidently must like it. Yeah, it, it was good. Uh, market started to take a shift. You know, I thought about getting my license. I've used a lot of mentors throughout the years and I spoke with one of my mentors and you know, I asked him, you see what I'm doing? Do you think I should get my license? And he said, well, you know, why don't you just go get the education for it? And at least then you have it. I thought, okay. So I went and took the classes. And while I'm in class, I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't I? Right. Now you're 90% of the way there, right? Yeah, right. So I thought, okay. I went ahead and got my license, which really opened a lot of doors for me. So what doors do they open? Different deals. When you're a wholesaler, you're kind of in this vertical market and you're you're just doing houses and it's just a little bit more restricted. Not that you can't go a wholesale other things, but when you're licensed, it gives you a little bit more, well, it's a double-edged sword. You have certain rules you have to follow, which you should be ethical anyway. If you're a wholesaler, you should be ethical in following those rules. So, right. Because the wholesalers have a bad rap for right, maybe not right. being the most ethical. 
Exactly. So some of them are not that way, but if you're going to do business right, then you're going to be ethical. And if you're going to do that, you really, you know, one of my mentors basically called wholesalers brokers without a license. Well, okay. What happens if you get a license? Well, then you can do a lot more deals. Uh, you can be part of MLS. You can advertise without risk. There's a lot of advantages to having a license. The disadvantages are that, you know, you have to disclose everything, which again, if you're doing things ethically, then you should be disclosing anyway. Right. Were you so, focused on Colorado or were you uh, outside of the state? I was focused on Colorado. I did a couple of deals out of state. So it wasn't just Colorado, but I was actually, I found some opportunities out in the St. Louis area and got involved in uh, a few short sales. And they were packages of houses that I ran across some packages and talked to the banks and got a good number and found buyers to come in and buy them and made some money on them. So you were doing these wholesales. Did you kind of use the wholesalers to kind of build up a fund to go do other deals? No, not not with the wholesalers. When I got my license, I was looking for a niche because real estate is one of those things. And I'm sure you guys know this, that you're only going to be really successful if you stay focused and put those blinders on and find a niche and really go at that niche. And I was at one of these classes where a guy came through town, talking about assisted living, went to the seminar. I thought, well, this is really interesting. When I first started investing, my mother said, hey, I'd like to invest in assisted living. So here comes this class through town. And I just got my license. It's, okay, well, let's go learn about this. And I got involved in it. And to me, it was very attractive because I've been an entrepreneur all my life and have studied business, had my business for 20 plus years. One of my mentors was a business broker. And that really got me interested in just business in general. And here I'm looking at an opportunity that involves business and real estate. And because I love both, I thought, well, this is this is my niche. This is perfect for me. So I got involved in the assisted living and decided to start this association because we didn't have one. And it started off as really a Facebook page and, you know, it was a networking thing. Um, I'm a big networker. I believe you have to do a lot of networking to get anywhere in real estate and make a lot of connections. Yeah. So I start this Facebook page and it started growing and pretty soon these people wanted to meet. So, okay, we'll do a meetup. And I started bringing in speakers and where'd you host them? Oh, I'd find a restaurant that had a, a room open and host them there. And, you know, it just started growing. Were these free meetups? No, they've been free. Uh, at one point, I did charge once we started growing and had to get bigger rooms with the restaurants. Uh, when we started out, we'd have a dozen people that would show up, but then it grew to 20. And you know, before COVID hit, we were averaging 40 to 50 people at a time. Wow. So we just charged a small fee just to cover the expenses. Then, you know, COVID hit, so we went with virtual. And now we get, you know, 30, the same 30 to 40 numbers. It's different people depending on what the topic is, but we don't charge, of course, because we really had no expenses. Mm -hmm. So it worked out pretty well. I've developed a reputation as being an expert in the assisted living. And I would say at this point, I probably am. I've researched these things. I, I have brokered 25 of these deals. Again, I'm on big on education. So I got my certified business intermediary designation last year. That was another 65 hours of classes, a few thousand dollars, and a lot of tough education. Now, what does that intermediary cert cover? It means that I'm well qualified to broker businesses. That's okay. it in a nutshell. 
you don't have to have the certification to do it. And I had done many of these deals without it, but I wanted to sharpen the saw and become better at what I do. So I went through the education to, to do that. So now I'm, you know, one of, I think there's about 500 people in the IBBA, which is the International Business Brokers Association. It's, it was either 437 or 537 brokers registered with them with the certification. And that's worldwide. Now that's just a small, well, I wouldn't say it's a small organization. It's one of maybe three or four in the world, but uh, it's kind of an elite group and it's a really tough certification to get. So that was my, my big project last year through COVID. Very good. And you also have a SRES. And what is that? Well, uh, senior real estate specialist. So again, that ties into the assisted living. Okay, so here you are. You got all the certs. You're a local expert. You're having uh, hosting meetups. And so you're starting to do deals in assisted living properties? I got involved with a company called A Better Way Realty three years ago. So is Jim Flint the managing broker of that? That's right. So we just had him on last week. Okay, great, great. So, So got involved with those guys. And, you know, Jim and I, we, we met and I found out that he was doing these assisted living deals. He was buying the properties and leasing the operators. And I was working at a, another brokerage at that time that specialized in assisted living. But I thought this was really attractive to me because, again, it wasn't just assisted living. It was a variety of other things, but it was using these funds and buying these things and leasing them to people and helping these businesses grow and expand their business was pretty attractive to me. I decided to join his team and use my network and what I developed to bring deals to the table that he was able to fund. So he's funded a lot of the deals that we've done. Yeah, because he's big, pretty big on partnerships. Right. Right. So Mike and I could show up with 10 grand each and throw our money in the pot, right? Exactly. Right. And then we take that money and we put it to work. One question I have, are you going directly to the senior or are you going to a a person that is running a senior facility or is it little both? No, we're going right to the the business owners, the people running these facilities. Okay. Because of the network that I developed and I've gotten involved with the national network as well. My group is now a Colorado chapter of the RAL, which is Residential Assisted Living National Association. So I've got a lot of connections in this space. People know that I've been doing this for some time and, you know, because of running the group and because of doing these deals and because of staying in this niche, you know, I really don't do anything else. Then word gets out. (laughs) Some people say that real estate is not what you know, but who you know. And I say it real estate is not what you know, but who knows you. Ah, there you go. I like that. So because people know what I'm doing, they come to me and I help them out and it just, it grows and mushrooms from that. Is the meetups your biggest way to advertise? Oh, I've got a really good network that I've developed. So I do a lot of email blasts on top of the meetups. Certainly uh, the meetup helps and it, it adds credibility. I've done these for four years now. I think we're doing number 48 tomorrow night. That's a pretty good track record. Okay. Because we only do them 11 times a year. We take a, a holiday off at Christmas. So that's one way. But again, I've, I, I talk to a lot of people in the industry. I attend events. I reach out to people. Word gets around, I guess. Now, so, if somebody calls up you to handle a residential real estate deal to sell or buy a house, do you do that too? Or do you just stay focused on assisted living? 
usually I refer those deals out doing a deal right now for a family member, but I'll typically refer that kind of stuff out because it, it just, I don't have the bandwidth to do the residential, you know, I'll make a little referral fee off of it, but honestly, it, it, you can only do so much. I try to stay focused in what I do. I'm reading the book called Traction right now. And essentially it says, you know, in your words, put up the blinders, stay focused on your business plan. So yeah. you're living the the words of the book here. <laughs> well, I haven't read that book, but it sounds like a one I should add to the list. Yeah, really good. One question I have, do you buy and hold these things at all? Or do you package them up and deliver to to a buyer and, and let them run the, well, know, let them um, buy them from you or? Our fund will buy the properties and hold them and lease them okay. to the operator. So really we're landlords, you know, in essence. And the the role I play is the deal maker. So, you know, I find them, I, I find the operators, I find the sellers, I put the deals together. I'm a crafter, I guess, because sometimes you have to get creative to put these things together. What's your average room size that you're going towards? Room size or? Or occupancy, I should say. Oh, you know, they're going to be anywhere from 10 to 20 beds is typical because, again, it's a residential home. So it's tough to get much more than that out of that. And if you go over, I think if you hit 20, then you're starting to hit commercial space. Mm -hmm. So 16 bed is a sweet spot. 10 bed is a sweet spot. Those are the two places that we like to, to see these things. So when you're looking for a house, I mean, how do you find these? What are you looking for? Well... You know, there's always conversions that you can do, but that takes a lot of time. And some people go through that space of conversion where they're looking for a big ranch and, you know, three-car garage that you can convert to bedrooms and lots of square footage on this ranch. And I've seen a few houses out there, but they're really tough to find. And, to, you know, in the Denver market to find a big ranch like that, you're looking a million bucks. So, you know, it's a lot of money. I usually look for existing businesses because a lot of the people I'm helping are growing or just getting into this, it's just so much easier to pick up an existing business and run with that than try to start a new one. That applies across board, no matter what business you're in. It's always easier to pick up an existing one and take that and change it and make it yours than try to start from scratch. Oh, so you're saying you're trying to pick up an existing assisted living place Mm -hmm. for whatever reason they're selling, you take it, add value somehow, and then manage it? We don't manage it. I find an operator that wants to come in and manage it. So they want to come in and take over the business. We're going to be the landlords and we're going to rent to them. So how do you find these operators? They find me. Uh, My group is focused on the operators and educating them. That's one way. I network in the circles that they hang out in. I have developed relationships with these people. So I get introduced to them. You know, I talk to them. That's basic sales. So are these operators, I I guess it's just new terminology to me. So these operators are entrepreneurs that see assisted living as a way to serve the community and a way for them to make a dollar for it, right? Right. And they have a a desire to help the elderly or what? what, I don't understand their, their motives here. That is the number one desire because this is a tough business. You know, a lot of times people think that this is a business that's easy, but you know, the facts are there are no easy businesses. Every business is tough. So you really have to have a heart for anything that you do. And the people that do this have hearts of gold. You know, there's some reason that they want to help 
maybe they have a parent or had a parent that was in a situation like this. Maybe they're already in the industry, so they're used to it, and this is what they like. You know, everybody's got their own motivations, but they all have hearts of gold and do this because they have a passion to help. Huh. Very good. And you're the intermediary between helping them find a place where they can live out their calling and... Yeah, you're trying to help the other people sell, and very good. Yeah, it's fun, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I really enjoy it. Good, yeah. Yeah, it's like, as I'm getting to know these entrepreneurs more and more, it's it's like, I always thought their motive was always money, you know? But really, it's like almost like a calling to, you know, like how you found your niche here. And Mike and I are engineers, you know, on our day job, and you know, but we love real estate. You know, it's like all these different things that make up a person. It is a calling and it's interesting how life leads us down a path. I couldn't be successful doing what I'm doing now if it hadn't been for my past experiences. Been an entrepreneur, I've, I've been in sales, I've been through all the accounting needs of being an entrepreneur. I've helped businesses. My previous life, I was in the sign industry and I still kind of am because we still own a sign company. But, you know, that's a business to business type of environment. And we're helping businesses get their start when you're in the sign industry. And I did that for, you know, I've got 40 years in that business. Wow. So there's a lot of creativity that's involved in that. And that creativity is translated into my deal making. I have a creative mind. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a guy named Peter Fortunato, but he's a guy out of Tampa and he's a disciple from the Jack Miller group. If you don't know who Jack Miller is, you should look him up because he's one of the most brilliant minds that ever existed in real estate. So Pete Fortunato is kind of a disciple from that group and he puts on some classes occasionally. And if you can ever go to his class, you should do it. But he's got a real interesting perspective. And that is, his basic words are what box. When people talk about thinking outside the box, his reply is what box. I love that perspective. The idea that real estate is not just about buying a piece of real estate or land or something like that for cash. There are hundreds of ways to get deals done. And if you limit yourself, most realtors do this and that. That's why I'm so glad as an investor before I became a realtor is they have this box that they work out. You know, these are the rules and this is all you can do. You know, there's just so many ways that you can get something done. It's just amazing. All you got to do is think creatively. I'm still working through that. I did my first deal with seller financing. And so that's kind of just a portion of it. That was really fun. And I actually got to show the previous owners this weekend the rehab we're doing. And it's just like the property brothers, you know, where they show the, the rehabbed house and I wanted to record it so bad, <laughs> but it was just really fun to see the expression on their face and see what we did with the place. That's great. Yeah. We've got a client who's buying the property to do a conversion. We're probably going to close on that. And oh gosh, it's going about three weeks now. And it's a million and a half dollar property and the seller's carrying half the deal. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's pretty awesome. Wow. I don't think that the, that deal would get done with that seller carry. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I've got another deal cooking right now that uh, there looks like their financing is falling apart. So we're going to have to get creative with that deal and come up with some seller carry and something, something else, you know, maybe lease option, seller carries, something that gets that deal to the finish line. We are probably looking for properties. If we're going to do something like this, you know, typical would be a $600,000 property. We might put 300000 in it. Okay. 
So that might be how we'd look at that. But we did a deal, oh, 18 months ago. We picked up an assisted living. It was up and running. It was an eight bed, but it was unique because it sat on a double lot. I have to give credit to the operators that brought this deal to me because they, they saw the potential in this. So we ended up buying that thing. And the husband of the operator was a construction guy. And their idea was, hey, it's on this double lot. Why don't we build another addition to it? So we, we bought it for a million bucks. We put $700,000 in it. Now they've got a really sweet 16-bed assisted living. And that thing's going to throw off 200000 a year in profits. Wow. That's a great deal. So Jim was also mentioning that a, a typical assisted living facility for the rooms anyhow they have a room and a half bath yeah you know that's ideal is for them to have their own half bath then they you know don't have to share a bath i mean it, you get a premium for that it's probably another 500 bucks a month okay do something like that and then if there was a certain number you could throw out you you threw out a number for 16 beds it was cleared 200,000 is that the numbers so is there a number for of room for how much you clear can't really look at it that way but um here's probably a good way to look at it if you're doing an 8 to 10 bed house it takes six people to break even and the average endeavors right now i think 4800 a month so you know on a 10 bed house you're going to be twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars in expenses, and then whatever your mortgage is on top of that, up and above that, is going to be your profits. So, you know, a typical scenario is a, a ten-bed at forty-eight hundred could be doing fifty grand. Let's call it uh, forty-five thousand with some vacancies a month, and it's going to cost twenty-five thousand ish of expenses on that. And your house costs, depending on how you do it, you know, if you're doing it in the lease, maybe it's five grand a month. You know, if the expenses are 30 grand, you're making 45, you're going to be netting 15 grand a month out of that deal. Those are some good numbers, but there's a lot of work that goes into making those numbers, right? It is an active investment. It is not a passive investment. A lot of investors come to me and want to get into this space because they hear those numbers and they're very, very attractive. So I have to tell them, look, there's some ugliness to this that you may not like. And I usually try to talk people out of it before... You know, I tell them all the bad. If they still want to move forward after hearing all the bad, then I'm happy to help them. But the last thing we want to do is put somebody in this business that they don't have the heart for it because that only hurts everybody. And I have seen close to $2 million lost in this space. What do you mean by that? People that get in and don't know what they're doing, don't have the heart for it, spend all this money and then decide not to open it, get in too deep and upside down try to do something and don't have enough capital to do it, lose a business. You know, if I added it all up over the last four years, I've seen close to 2 million bucks of money evaporate. People lost their butts because uh, they didn't know what they were doing, didn't have the right heart. You know, it's a tough business. You, you got to know what you're doing. It's, it's like any business. Wow. Uh, how did COVID impact your business? So COVID, basically the admissions were shut down for a while. So for, you know, close to six months, these people couldn't have new admissions. First off, everybody was scared to move their mother. Right. Understandable. All right. The, the state kind of stopped any kind of movement for a little while. You know, the, one of the unfortunate things in this business, part of the ugly that I explain to people is this is a business where people pass away. You know, we're dealing with end of life. You know, it's just one of the facts of this business. You're 
your clients die. And when your clients die, if you can't replace them, then your vacancies go up. And we saw a lot of that happen to the, the residential homes where their admissions went way down. Then on top of that, they ran into some situations with employees where they had to have extra training. So they had to pay their employees for more training with COVID. If an employee got sick, they were sent home for two weeks, paid, and you had to pay another employee time and a half to cover that shift. So your payroll went to the roof. Supplies, they had to have all of those PPE. You know, it was getting tough and the PPE prices went through the roof. Uh, you know, gloves went up 400%. You know, they got to use gloves and throw them away and use them and throw them away. And, you know, it just got really, really expensive. So we saw uh, admissions go down, payroll go up, supplies go up. Now, there is a silver lining, and I'm an optimist, and there's always a silver lining. And the silver lining is that in the smaller homes, there was less of COVID because they were able to control who went in and out of their homes. So now they have a marketing advantage because the smaller homes are safer than the big box. And where do you want to put your mom? You want to put her in a big box where you know you got people coming and going, or would you put her in a home where it's controlled? So I think there's a huge marketing advantage now that they didn't have before. Very good. Very good. Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stahl Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with HomeSmart, and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stahl Realty had to say. Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services. One of my favorite mottos is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming, but with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stylerealty at gmail.com or text call me at 720-429-3303. I look forward to hearing from you. And now, back to our show. I always drive past Windcrest, the, the big... Uh, monopoly on the hill uh, have you ever been in there what, what, how do you even compete with that i mean you, you mentioned you mentioned the small you know um, okay let me ask you this have you ever been to a really nice hotel for like a week and yeah. you get to about day four or five and it's like man i'd rather i want to go home all right this is just too much for me uh-huh that's the way i feel those are like the big fancy hotels it's not a home they're neat, and you know those are what they call continuous care retirement communities. So you start off there as independent living, and they are nice, and they're beautiful, and they're kind of cool. I mean, hey, if you're an active senior, you, you know you get to socialize, and there's some advantages to that. And then you know you get to a point where now you need assistance, so you're not going to be as active anymore, and you're not going down to the game room and chasing the old ladies and all that <laughs> stuff, right? Instead, you're you're bedridden or you know, it's just, it, you need help, right? And the, the ratio of the caregivers to the residents there is going to be a lot higher. You know, it's typically going to be, you know, 15 to 20 residents to one caregiver. If you're in a smaller home, then your, your ratio is going to be at the most 10 to one, but most likely it's more like eight to six to one. So you got a lot more attention there. And then they go into the, um, the skilled nursing of that. And that's something assisted living just doesn't deal with. So the smaller homes, if somebody's at that point where they need nursing, 
then they need to go to a nursing home where there is nurse uh, care there. The other thing about Windcrest, and I don't know what the rates are today, but last time that we looked at some of those, which was probably about four or five years ago, I had a, a dear friend who was looking at uh, CCRC. They had, I think the buy-in on Windcrest, which is the highest one, was about $400,000. 400000 That's to get on the list. And then once you're in, you're going to spend about seven grand a month. Seven. Wow. And I, I don't know for sure, but the way I believe that they work, because I've seen a few different models, is basically what they're doing is they're taking that and they're saying, hey, you're here for life. Okay, so we're taking your $400,000. We're going to go out and invest that money. You know, that's our money now until you pass away. You're going to pay $7,000 a month until you run out of money. And when you finally run out of money, then we're going to start taking from that 400000 to pay until you pass away. And then when, you're, when you finally do pass away, we're going, to, we're going to give your heirs a percentage of that 400000 or whatever's left. In the meantime, we got all the money and we get to work with it and we can make money off of that money. That's the basics of how I believe that works. I've, I've always heard of that money. big upfront money. And I didn't know, I couldn't ever correlate what it was, if you ever got it back or that's a hefty entrance fee. Yeah. And you, you know, you may get it back depending on how long you live or your heirs may get part of it back. Right. But you know, the average stay in assisted living is 30 months. You're spending that $7,000 a month for 30 months. Then you're either going to go to nursing or you may pass away. Hey, can I go uh, back to the COVID thing? So sure. they have a, a like a it, during the COVID thing, you couldn't evict the tenant, right? In the residential real estate world, right? So the tenants could fall behind on their rent, and you couldn't evict them, and you could be heard as a landlord, right? So you, as the landlord for these operators, did you have to work? with them to help them through COVID or how, did you have any impact from that, from the landlord point of view? Well, keep in mind that when you go into assisted living, that you usually have a chunk of money set aside to meet your needs till the end of life. Now, maybe you sold your house or you had a big investment or something along those lines, but you're going in, you're not making an income. So how are you paying for that $4,800 a month? Well, you already got the money. Or if you're in the Medicaid program, the government's paying for it. So most of our operators didn't see really a dip unless they lost residents due to them passing away. Right. So for the most part, everybody that we've done our deal with is in our program was able to make their payments. Hmm. So we really haven't had too much of an issue with that. And when Which you kind work of, with the operator or try to find an operator, is there, you know, like when I screen for a tenant, I'm looking to make sure that they're a good, you know, financial fit for the responsibility. Do you do that with the operator? Absolutely. Last thing I want to do is put somebody in a position to fail. You know, what I'm looking for, because it's kind of on me to at least be the pre-screener. We have an underwriter that will do the, the actual screening, but I don't want to bring bad deals to the table. So when I've turned somebody down, what I've said is you need to go find a business partner. You're a very good caregiver. And you understand how to do that part, but you know maybe you don't understand the business part. I don't quite put it in those words, but I would put it to the effect of you need to have a good business mind and a good business partner, and you need to have a good caregiver. That combination is what makes it successful. 
So if you got somebody who's a very good caregiver, but has never run a business and doesn't understand the numbers and they try to run a business, you know, they may be very good at caregiving, but that's only half the battle. Or if you've got somebody who's very good at numbers and all that, but they don't know anything about caregiving, they've got to find somebody that can fill that role. It's easier that way because it's easier to go out and hire somebody who's a, a good administrator and can run that part of your business than to go out and hire somebody who's, you know, a really good business person because they're not going to want to work for you. They're going to do it themselves. So you got to partner up with somebody. Right. And I've made suggestions to people that before we do a deal with them, they need to bring in a business partner. So that's what I'm looking for. And then, you know, I, I like to analyze that business and run it through our program and make sure that it's going to throw off enough cash so that they're going to make enough money and make it worth their while. Cause it's going to be tough if they're only going to make 20 grand a year after paying us, how long are they going to want to do that? Right. Most of the people I run into in this business that want to get out are the eight bed operators that have got one of these and they're stuck in a job for a while that, you know, they can't take any time off. They can't take a vacation. They have to work 24 seven or at least be on call. That's a tough, tough business. Right. <laughs> they're right. looking for the door. Right. You know, yeah, it's your job not- to help find the right people yeah. for the right spot here. I did have one general question for these occupants your your assisted living, but are they come going in and out of nursing homes too, or are they this kind of the final spot for them? No, assisted living is a step before the nursing home. Okay. And then do they come back? Can they come back? Do you see a lot of that? Do you have to keep, keep beds open for them or? No, sometimes they may go to the hospital and be in the hospital for a couple of weeks and the beds are kept open for them because they're still paying for that. But a lot of times in that scenario from the hospital, they may need to go into nursing. Once they get to the nursing level, because this is only assisted living, there are no nurses required. And usually, you know, the numbers just don't justify having nurse. So that's in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. So once they get to a certain level where they require a nurse or it's too much care, then usually they'll go to a nursing home from there. Keep in mind, this is a business and it has to have, you know, everybody has their own business model and this is what we can do for you. And, and when you get beyond the scope of what we can do for you, then you, we can't help you anymore. They're upfront about that. And then when people get to that level, then they've got to move on. So, yeah, that's the stark reality of your business model here. It's, it's hard to yeah. hear, but it's true. It is, you know, and that's why I like, doing the real estate part because I just, I, I, I like businesses where my clients are happy and I can help them. And I don't want to be in an operation where my clients die. Right. And, you know, to me, that's my personal preference and what keeps me happy and why I, I wouldn't be an operator per se. I wouldn't be happy being an operator. Let's say again, operators have hearts of gold. You know, I, I know one operator who told me, Hey, it's like having 50 grandparents. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's really cool. I, another operator I'm working with, and we were chatting and you know talking about his business. He, we're we're in a deal where he, he's about ready to acquire a, basically double what he has now. And we were talking about the future and how this business plan could work out. And I said, you know, hey, you're going to get to a point where you can just sit back and collect some of the money. You're going to make double what you're making now. You're going to be able to go fishing or do what you want. You know what he said? He goes, all I want to do is sit at the table and talk to these folks. I really like them. Very good. 
I just love that about these guys. They're awesome. That's cool. Uh, can you tell us about your favorite real estate deal? Every deal I'm working on is my favorite, but <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a fun real estate deal. I actually got a, a beginner's deal of the year award for this thing in i So this is really my first big deal. And it was kind of fun. So I was wholesaling uh, these houses out in um, St. Louis and I ran across a package of, oh gosh, I think it was 13 houses that we had on this deal. I was looking to sell the deal and make a few bucks off of it. And we kept beating up the bank because it was a short sale to get the number down to the point where we could sell the deal. I finally got them down to, gosh, I think it was $300,000 for the 13 homes. And when I had that number, it's like, man, I got to keep this deal. I got to go find a partner who's got money. Yeah. I went out and put it out to the world and found a partner that had money. He came in and put up the money and we bought the 13 houses and then we bought a few more houses. At one point, I think we had 18 doors. I didn't have anything other than my sweat equity into that deal. Oh, I stuck that whole thing in my, my Roth 401k. Holy cow. And then we recently sold that deal for $600,000 or actually we didn't sell it. We exchanged it for a $600,000 note on another set of properties that's actually here in Colorado. And then my partner wanted out. So I went out and borrowed hard money and used that hard money to buy my partner out and took an option to get the hard money. The, the lender didn't want to just loan the money. They wanted to have the note. So sold him the note to buy my partner out for, I think we're in them for $350,000 with an option to buy it back at the 350 plus the interest that that thing's going to accumulate. Now the note already pays most of the interest. So it's cost me $400 a month of interest accumulated. When I exercise my option, I'll own the 350 plus 400 a month to whenever I get it. And they'll pay it that note off at $600,000 in four and a half years. Wow. Yeah, the note thing, I'm just, I have to say, I'm not very well versed in it yet. We're going to have to get a note person on here. <laughs> you, you should, yeah. That, and I, I know a good note person, too. Oh, but yeah. it's just paper. You know, it's just, you're buying somebody's loan, in essence. Okay. I think we're going to exercise that note sooner because my mom's got a house that she's going to sell. And I think what I'm going to do is have her buy that note and she'll end up making 10% interest on that deal. So she'll get a good cash flow for until that note's paid off. And then I'll still have the option to take the money off the table. Wow. Sounds like some good wheeling and dealing there. It's, it is creative and it makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, read any books or do you have any books you recommend? I usually do audible and I was doing a lot of windshield time before COVID. So that's when I get all my book time in. So, you know, I do a book a month when that was going on. Last year, most of my study time went into getting my certification. You know, it's been mostly uh, educational type reading that I went through last year. But, you know, books that stick out in my mind, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, you know, again, I, I don't mean to knock their program like I did at the beginning, but what they talk about and what they teach in that book is so valuable. It actually you know, changed my way of thinking. And I think it was Christmas of 19. I gave all four of my sons a copy of that book. <laughs> yep. And so far, one of them has taken the time to read it, but he's read it three times now and he's starting to apply those principles. Yeah. But, it's a good you know, mind it, shift. 
it, it really is. And that's what my oldest son told me. He goes, you know, this has really changed the way I, I think about money and, and these things. And, you know, so I think that's a, a great book for somebody to read and understand. And like I said, get that mind shift. Think and Grow Rich. You know, there's a book that was written 100 years ago. And it still applies today. It's amazing. Nothing's really changed from what that book goes over. And it was written 100 years ago. I have, I have to read that. I haven't read it yet. I avoided it a long time because I thought, well, you know, it's just blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, I want to think and grow rich. Well, that's not really what it is. It, but it, it's a great book. And I read it a few times. And again, what amazes me is it was written so long ago. And in essence, what it is, is um, the Rockefeller hired this guy to go out and interview all these successful people. So he went out and all the richest people in the world at that time, he'd interview them. And he found that there was common threads between all of their thinking. So he's basically documented all this ultra wealthy thinking mindset. And that's what the book's about is, huh. you know, what all these guys thought. And, you know, it still applies. Huh. So that's another good one. The Millionaire Next Door is another one that I like. It's a lot like the others. It's a lot like the Think and Grow Rich. It's uh, as far as, you know, it's that mindset of, you know, what do you do with your money? And it's just good stuff. Do you have any favorite business books? Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. That's one I always recommend. Uh, That's one I read many years ago and started playing those and read it again a few years ago. And I always recommend that book because if you pay attention to what these habits are and apply them, you know, for me, it was a, the paradigm shift. And, and that was one of the things in that book that really was maybe one of the biggest things for me because, you know, I was in sales at the time and it lets you see from the other side and especially is helpful in negotiation. So understanding that paradigm shift is really, really important. Very good. And then what are you planning on doing next? Next uh, on my list of things to do is some sort of a syndication, kind of like what, you know, Jim's been do, doing these for years. And I just have to find the, the right avenue to apply this has been on my list for several years is to do a syndication. That's one of the reasons why I went over and started hanging out with Jim because he was doing it. I want to learn from him. And it's, it's probably going to be something in the effect of the ground up builds for these assisted livings. That's something that we don't have in place and it's a big need. So we need to figure out how do we build these assisted livings? We can't do it with our funds right now because they're all income funds and the investors want their money now. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be a growth fund where, you know, people put in and the payoff is two years down the road, but it's a good payoff. And we've got people that need these things. And I think that's a, that's a great way to go. Another thing too, I just ran across, uh, spoke with a guy that was doing this recently and that is taking hotels and converting them over to assisted living. I think that's a great idea. So, you know, that might be where my syndication lands. I don't know yet, but uh, somewhere along the lines, I'm going to be doing a syndication in some form. I don't know what it when is. When you talk syndication, are you, or is it like, is that like a REIT or something like that? Well, yeah, on a small scale, though. Small you know, scale. I, I went through the apartment uh, education. Of, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever talked to Anthony Chara, who teaches apartment syndication and apartment purchasing. And, you know, they do it all the time for big apartment buildings. I've been a, a student of his, been through his guru stuff, and that's money well spent. They teach the syndication and how this works and putting these deals together. It's just amazing stuff. And some of the deals they do are just, you know, really cool. And you get a bunch of investors together and you go in on a deal and 
you know, they're going in and buying a big apartment building and, you know, getting a good return for everybody. And down the road, they sell it and everybody gets a little windfall. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Jim sounded like he was uh, well versed in that partnership stuff. Yeah, he is. He's a he's a really smart guy. Yeah, he seems like it. So this is secret sauce for success. What are your secrets to your success? Well, hard work and perseverance. My wife says I'm like a dog on a bone, and if I want to get something done, I figure out a way to do it, and I don't stop until I figure it out. You know, most of the successful people I've met in my life have that same type of qualities. You know, perseverance is so important. And, you know, nothing comes easy. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of hard work. So I think, you know, those are two basic ingredients that anybody can do and anybody can be successful. I wholeheartedly believe that you can be successful at anything you want in this world if you work hard enough at it. Right, because you're going to have to sacrifice something to get there, though. And what are you willing to sacrifice to get yeah. it? Well, hopefully it's only time. Maybe it's going to some money. You know, we don't want to sacrifice family. Right. You know, you got to have your priorities straight. But, you know, we all have time. Yeah, so what are some actionable things that our listeners can do to start? You know, let's say somebody hears this podcast that says, you know, I want to get together. What, what do you recommend to these people? Well, there's so many shiny objects out there that, you know, it's really tough for me to say, this is what you should do because you have to have passion for whatever it is. When you find something that really makes sense to you, then you really, again, need to put the blinders on and just be laser focused in on that. You know, I don't know what it is for each and everybody. There's just so many different things that you can do in real estate, hundred shiny objects here. So what do you like? What are the ways to get to it? For learning, I would say the best thing to do if you want to learn is to figure out where your local groups are, your local uh, real estate groups, and start going to those meetings. When I got started, my mentor, Mike, he said, okay, go to all of the real estate meetings, go early, stay late, network, get cards. And I did. You know, and for a couple of years, I was doing over 100 meetings a year. And wow. I got to know a lot of people. And I got to figure out who was good at what. I got to learn a lot because a lot of these groups will put on different classes. So, you know, I took a lot of education for not spending a lot of money. Learned a ton of stuff that I can apply uh, in all different areas in real estate, even though I'm focused in on a niche. I'm still aware of all these other tools and have them in my toolbox. I just don't need them. And then if you do that and you go to all these meetings and meet all these people and learn about the, all this stuff, something's going to click. And you're going to say, dang, I really like that. I want to do that. And you're going to be learning as you go along. So, you know, when you first start out, it's just about the learning and figuring this out because there's so much to it. Then when it clicks, Okay, now it's time to put those blinders on and put your energy and all your efforts into that thing. I like that. I like that. Get broad exposure, narrow your focus, and then go. Let's say some of our listeners want to join your groups. How can they get a hold of you? I always give out my phone number. It's an easy number, 303-888-0078. Email, the easiest email to remember me by is burn at buyassistedliving.com. Buy as in B-U-Y. I have my meetup group for assisted living. We meet the last Wednesday of every month. 
which happens to be tomorrow night. And we're on a meetup at Denver ALR. I have another group that I am a co-organizer of. Uh, my first mentor, Mike, is uh, the developer of this group. It's called the Denver Association of Real Estate Investors. Um, we do that the third Monday of every month. And if you look at Dairy, D-A-R-E-I, uh, website's dairy.club. And that's uh, another real estate group that I'm a big part of. And then there's a few other groups that, you know, if you're in the Denver area, I recommend that you get familiar with i Investment Community of the Rockies. There's a new group that's kind of an offshoot of an older group that is, you know, it's great guys, uh, RIG, Real Estate Investors Group. There is IROC, the Investment Realty Resource of Colorado. So those are three other good groups to be involved with. Do you still have your Facebook group? I do. Yeah, that's uh, Denver ALR is what the Facebook group is. Bigger Pockets, uh, that's another good website for people to just learn about things. And they had a group that was going on for a while. I think it was called Badass Real Estate Investors. And, you know, just search Meetup for real estate investment groups near you and go to as many as you can. Go early and stay late. All right. That sounds like great advice from Vern Harris. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. I know we ran a little long, but it was great, you know, hearing your uh, stories and what you've been up to. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure and uh, look forward to hearing more stuff from you guys. Yeah, thank All you right. very much. Vern. Wow. What a great interview with Vern Harris. What did you get out of it, Mike? Oh, I learned a lot of uh, a lot of new information that I didn't even know existed, honestly, about just the business case with uh, assisted living homes. I mean, I, I didn't really know that whole business existed until I talked with Vern. Right, exactly. I, me too. I, I'm oblivious to this sector. Not just assisted living, but wholesaling and and doing these deals that he has, and, and you know, buying notes and things like that. He talked about. Uh, it's a whole different animal than the real estate that I've been, you know, accustomed to when, with my experience. Right. Oh, I hear you. You know, we're engineers by day and real estate wannabes or real estate people in the evening, right? Engineering is, is really broad and diverse and it always keeps my interest because there's always something more to learn. And that's what I like about real estate too, is there's always something different. And if you don't like residential, maybe try fourplexes, maybe try giant apartment buildings. Hey, try assisted living. So that's why I think the two are very similar. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, yeah, a couple other things that uh, that are needed in engineering and, and real estate, the uh, education and, and the continuous learning that uh, Byrne proved to us that he needed to do through all his seminars and and his uh, weekly meetings and his you know Facebook pages and all of that stuff, just to get to know people and kind of make his niche in the, uh, in the world. Right. And I think he mentioned it, but uh, he was a big fan of networking. Yeah, he really was a big fan of networking. He's, he still has monthly meetings with uh, the different groups he talked about, uh, and, and sometimes two different groups monthly. And he has his Facebook page, and he has his website, and he has another website coming online. And so he's always looking for different things and, and ways to get his name out. And then people are coming to him. All these people are coming to him. That's how he's making deals. He's known as an expert in assisted living uh, financing and, and leasing. Yeah, kudos to him. It was a, a very eye-opening eye uh, interview, and uh, I learned a lot. 
Heck, I need to go back and listen to it again because I I was kind of overwhelmed by how much information I was trying to absorb. So I was going to actually listen to it again and take maybe take some better notes too. I think I told you I took four pages of notes, just and I missed a bunch. I missed a lot. So yeah, I'll, I'll be um, I'll be listening again to uh, take additional notes and see what I missed. So what do you take away for the secrets to his success? I think education, and then he's has uh, he spent uh, a lot of money on education, a lot of money on seminars. He also did a real estate uh, license and others, and then his optimism. He's he's an optimist, and which is which is great. And and when you're dealing with assisted living, like we talked about, and you're dealing with old people, and you're dealing with really hard end of life things. And of course, he has people that run his assisted living areas, but just to have that optimism out there, and I think it's really infectious. Um, I thought it was really good. What did you get from his uh, secrets? Uh, you know, the standard perseverance, you know, like a, a dog on a bone kind of thing, right? I, I, I see that as a common trait. And then his laser focus, you know, that he found his niche. He, he tried a few things and he is zeroed in. And like you said, the expert on group homes. I was really surprised. You know, we're coming out of COVID, right? You know, you and I are both going to get our shots in the next couple of weeks, right? And we're coming out. During this COVID, this has been a tough year, especially for group homes, nursing homes. And he was saying that there was a very limited impact to his group homes, to, you know, as the owner leasing these out. And he gave some benefits of the smaller group homes, right? Because they... You know, yeah. Not as many people coming and going like a like a big one, and and it, it, what surprised me was the closeness factor, you know, the family factor. I never thought of that, but you know, as we as we get older, right, we're going to need one of these. Yeah, and you're going to need uh, that support structure that's inside, not just the workers, but the other the other residents in the uh, in the group homes, and that tied back to his optimism and you know uh, seeing the good thing out of covid of, of uh, these smaller group homes and not having the infection rate that uh, maybe some of the bigger homes have yeah very interesting conversation right yeah i'm going to try to look up his uh, classes or networking groups i'm going to try to attend one or two of those and kind of get a read on that i'm not sure if i'm ready to invest or not like we both said there's just a ton of information out there yeah, and he said he's revamping his website, so there'll be a lot more uh, information on there when he revamps in the near future. The only thing I didn't ask him was, uh, you know, with the baby boom, there's a giant wave coming of baby boomers, and maybe that's what all these operators are ramping up to accommodate. I wonder what's going to happen after the wave goes through. Yeah, I, you know, with the with his perseverance, he's going to find it, and uh, he's going to teach the next generation of what to do when. Uh, when he's retired and gone. So, you know, I don't have any, any qualms of his uh, way forward, but he'll have to figure it out. Maybe, um, I think you mentioned earlier, come up with uh, some sort of, what do they call it? Just a group home for young people, maybe turn into a hostel. You know, maybe homeless, you know, or uh, immigrants or, you know, you know, maybe a tenement uh, down the road, but uh, there's always options out there. You know, when he said, if you have a, you have a bedroom and a bathroom, you know, you can, you can really do anything. That's true. That's true. What a great interview. I, I hope our paths cross again with Vern. I think he has a lot to add to our community. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to thank you for letting me co-host with you, Rick. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to hearing this and then uh, hearing Doug uh, here the next few weeks. Thank you very much. Usually Doug takes us out of here. So Mike, you want to take us out of here? 
Thank Vern. Thank Rick. It's going to be 70 degrees this weekend, and I hope everyone gets out there and enjoys life. Thank you for listening to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we find the secret ingredients for success. We all want to be successful in life, so let's break down the steps it takes to get there and learn from other people's journeys. We hope that through the stories you hear on our show, you will find success in your life.